Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by special guest Hanser. Hello. And today the three of us are talking about Tenet. You knew it was me coming out of that vault. Why didn't you say? It's a lot of explaining when someone's about to put a bullet in your own brain. But afterwards? Things the same. I knew it'd be okay. It's happened, it's happened. If I told you and you acted differently, who knows? Policy is to suppress. Whose policy? Ours, my friend. <laughs> With the people saving the world from what might have been. This is an English-American cerebral science fiction time-turning thriller. Directed by Christopher Nolan. The cast includes Denzel Jr., Cedric Diggory, Hercule Poirot, Princess Diana, Marvel's Quicksilver One, Jack Malick, and Alfred Pennyworth. Pennyworth? Pennyworth? Pennyworth. I th well, uh, the, the last name for Alfred is not actually... Like, when I was researching Alfred. it... Well, there's multiple last names, yeah, depending on who's making the Batman movie. So Alfred, I guess, would suffice. Uh, I, I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on YouTube. Hunter, what about you? How did you watch it? I watched it on Blu-ray. Blu-ray, all yeah, right. Got it from Redbox. Excellent. Very cool. All right, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Tenet? Okay. Our hero, only known as the protagonist, is a top-secret government agent. He is sent in to rescue an asset from an opera in Kiev. However, he is intercepted by some group of bad guys and tortured. The protagonist, or as I will call him, Prot, takes a cyanide pill and dies. But it turns out he ain't dead at all. The pill was fake, a test to see if he would make the ultimate sacrifice. Because he passed the test, his clearance is upgraded and he's given a new assignment, codename Tenet. He follows some clues and is led to a lab specializing in exposition, where a scientist explains to him the main conceit of the movie. The present is at war with the future. The future has developed a new technology that allows for objects to be sent backward through time. This process is known as inversion. Anything can be inverted. Bullets, machines, even people. But there are side effects which lead to some really neat movie moments. Our hero meets up with a British agent named Neil, and together they follow some clues which lead them to Andre Sater. Andre Sater? That's right. Andre, yeah. Thank you. Andre Sater, a Russian arms dealer who is working with the future to betray the present. Sater is attempting to assemble a device that can invert the entire world, essentially killing everyone who's currently alive. Real doomsday stuff here. After some clever inverted time shenanigans, including a fight scene between the protagonist and his inverted self, a car chase where some of the drivers are inverted, and an interrogation scene played forward and backward, Pratt and Neil discover something important. Sater is going to kill himself. It turns out he is dying and wants to take the world out with him. He has chosen a specific time and place, and when he dies, it will trigger a message to the future. This message will reveal the location of the doomsday device, which will be buried in an explosion somewhere in old Soviet territory. Neil and Pratt enlist the help of Sater's wife, Kat, to keep him alive for as long as possible while a small army attempts to recover the device before it's lost forever. While Kat distracts Sater, Neil, Pratt, and a team of half-inverted, half-conventional soldiers face off against a faceless army of goons. 
Cat jumps the gun and kills Sater early, not content with the idea that he might think he has won. But just in time, Prot and Neil pull the doomsday device from its in intended burial site and save the day. Throughout the movie, Prot is trusting his orders and mission, but is questioning about where those directives come from. At the end, he learns that they are coming from himself in the future. Embracing that role, he goes on to fulfill his destiny. Thank you very much, Joey, for that synopsis. Let's begin with our pros and cons. Hunter, what did you like about Tenet? Uh, I really liked Tenet because it was just like a classic spy movie. It was really something that like reminded me of like James Bond, but it just had a new twist that wasn't just some nuclear holocaust. Yeah, and definitely. I like that. Like, it was a interesting to like hear the antagonist talk about why he was actually ending the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fight, like the fight scenes, the music, the score, like everything about this movie just had a great feel to it. And I just love how complex it was. Cool. Joey, what about you? What did you like about Tenet? Uh, yeah, I agree with all of what you just said, Hunter. Um, I, I actually saw some interview with Christopher Nolan that talked about how he, he loves Bond and this was like his kind of homage to Bond in a way. Um, and this was actually the law while he was making this movie was the longest time he spent not watching a Bond movie because he didn't want to be too like overly influenced by the genre and, um, and wanted to make something of his own. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, um, just to, to go over more of the Bond discourse, like I've, I've heard arguments with people where they're like, should there be a black James Bond? Should there be a female James Bond? Um, you know, and, and people deciding whether or not that makes sense. I don't think we need to keep remaking the same character and try to have inclusion by making them change who the character is. You can just make more awesome characters. So like to have a great black spy, I think is awesome. And to have his own story is even better than trying to shoehorn him in and be like, Oh, he's also James Bond. Um, yeah. I, so I, I like that aspect as well. Yeah. I mean, that's spy. the thing. This is the most, uh, this is the most expensive original movie ever made. Um, and there should be more like it. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, things I liked about it. Wow. It's a uh, very unique. It's a very ambitious story. Great acting all around from all of our main characters. It's thrilling, intense, and there are some really fun and unique time traveling antics. What about you, Benjamin? Yeah, I agree with everything you guys have said. Like the, the novelty of the gimmick and tenant is worth the price of admission alone. Like the, the whole backwards thing, like you just have to see it for yourself. Uh, but then yeah, beyond that great acting, great cast, ambitious cinematography, great stunts. I love stunts and it's a very cerebral movie, uh, which is another great aspect of it. But let's talk cons. What did you not like about tenant Hunter? It was a very complex movie and I, I've seen it so many times. I don't know if I don't understand it or the scene doesn't make sense. Honestly, I guess like my main holdups were the inverted gun when he's using it in forward time. That, well, I was like, so now he's got the bullet. What about the hole now? Does the hole stay? It looks like the hole's gone. <laughs> yes, no, it's, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that and, then, and try to see if we can get to the yeah, bottom of Yeah, and then the car scene was the only other issue i had i'm like shouldn't the car be going forward and like why is it going backwards but yeah forward? yeah yeah oh yeah i was like so 
Oh yeah, <sighs> it's so much. I, my brain got broken so many times. Yeah, and I can't tell if it's wrong out. or if I'm wrong. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, just to go <laughs> off of that, I agree. Like one of the cons is this movie is very complex and difficult, and I don't think there's anything wrong with challenging your audience. But there are aspects of the way that this movie um, explains itself to you that are just frustrating, um, and and it almost like demands multiple viewings. Where if you were just to go see this in a movie theater where you can't pause or turn on subtitles it could probably be pretty frustrating. I'll also off of that. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. So obligatory, you have to have subtitles. In my opinion, the dialogue is just sometimes too fast and difficult to, uh, to understand in real time, uh, which makes it that much harder to understand this movie. Yeah. Um, Echoing all of that, absolutely. And the only other thing I would add is, uh, what like what is the message at the end? What, what am I supposed to be taking away from it? Because I again, you go through this crazy roller coaster throughout the movie. You're on board for the whole thing, and then at the end, it's just uh, like there's a bunch of things, a bunch of actions that happen that don't really seem to line up with what the message of the movie is. Or if it maybe I just don't understand what the message of the movie is because there's other parts of the movie I don't understand. So uh, you kind of leave very like very confused and uh frustrated or at least i did well hopefully we can ease some of those frustrations in our conversation here uh as we move into our overall section and uh we'll start with some questions for you hunter so first off hunter why did you pick this movie of all the movies you could have picked to talk about on affable chat why tenant uh i just think like all of nolan's work is he's a remarkable director and all of his things involve like time and kind of just brings in like a philosophical like wonder about it and just for the simple fact of like I had to like really think about this movie like this is just as much good for me as talking it out because it's it's a lot yeah no I think this movie of you know among many movies demands a conversation Mm -hmm. Um, if you're gonna talk (laughs) about a movie yeah this is a good choice this is like it's a, a COVID like special because I was like, when is this movie going to come out? Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of why this movie like didn't, you know, quote unquote, do so well is because it was one of the few movies that actually released during the pandemic. Yeah. And I agree with your earlier thing. You need to watch it at least twice. Yeah. And maybe even more. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many times do you watch it, Hunter? Uh, about 10 times, honestly. Really? Yeah. Well, like I brought it home to like my parents and I like, I just kept showing the movie off and then I had the chance to do this. So I was like, I guess I'm gonna watch a couple more times. Wow. And <laughs> again, like, did you feel like you were still finding new stuff yes. upon each viewing? Yes. Wow. Uh, especially just like, because they use so much time inversion, you can actually see him in different scenes or Neil in different scenes. Yes. I am. Um, one, oh, one of the big things that I definitely noticed the second time I watched it was the scene in the car scene where he's throwing the uh, box across to mm-hmm. Seder. You can see the algorithm out of the box even in the first go through, mm-hmm. you can see him like you don't actually the camera doesn't show him throwing it into the other car, but you can see when he throws the box to Seder, it's outside of the box and he's got mm-hmm. it in his lap. Uh, so it's like that stuff. It, I have faith in the movie Tenet that everything does make sense because mm-hmm. I've seen Christopher Nolan do it in other movies. And I also found evidence of it even just on the second watch through. Mm hmm. Hmm, that's funny. It's funny you say faith. Maybe that will come mm, back later. Yes. <laughs> um, so, what about this movie speaks to you personally, Hunter? 
Um, one of my big things that I enjoyed about this movie was it. I feel like a lot of movies don't wrap it up well. Like you end up with a movie and you're just like, hopefully there's another movie that comes out. Like, I mean, Marvel, great movies, but there's always some like cliffhanger at sure. the end of it. This movie it starts in heavy, like the music just like, boom, like it transports you there. And yeah. I was like, oh man, like I couldn't imagine seeing this in theaters. It would have been great. Yes, it definitely would have been. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is such a like surface level Christopher Nolan take mm-hmm. but like I felt like I was watching the beginning of the Dark Knight again with the like getting yeah. right into the action right when the movie starts like you don't really know what's going on you're like why are these guys putting on the different patches like where why is this performance who's like now there's terrorists like that stuff is all, like it's all coming at you so quickly mm-hmm. it gets you hooked immediately yeah and I think that's like one of the best parts of like the storytelling is like you're thrown into it learning one step in the way yeah um and like it was just like i like time movies and it was really cool to like see like it was a meta there was like meta lines like they talked about protagonists and antagonists i'm like I, I kind of like they kind of know that it's a, like a, a movie right right um so i guess what does this movie remind you of Mm. Reminds me of like Edge of Tomorrow mixed with like James Bond. Okay. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the way, because I mean, it's reverse entropy. So it's interesting. I mean, there's no forward time travel. Right. So it just puts on a completely different like meaning for it. Yeah. Yeah. I like how it kind of distinguishes itself from other time travel movies. I can't say that for certain because it's not like I've seen every single time travel movie but this was a new concept of time travel for me where it's like you're not teleporting to a different time Mm -hmm. you're traveling through time forwards or backwards which um i think is pretty cool yeah this yeah yeah it has a lot of personality uh, hunter have you ever seen the movie primer no i don't think i have that's the that's one of my favorite time travel movies and it has a similar conceit where you can travel back in time but it takes the same amount of time to travel back in time as you does as it does to go forward in time uh, they don't have the ability to walk around mm-hmm. like while it's uh what's happening because they have to be in the time machine while they're going back in time but if they want to travel back three days they have to sit in the box for three days um so, and i'm yeah, getting the assumption that that's what they had to do in tenet yeah when he says when he says at the end like oh you know you have a future in the past or like you know we've known each other for years or something, that implies it's, that it's at one point like e- both of them or either of them or one of them has been like inverted for a decade or something you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. like they've been totally walking backwards for years and years and years um yeah well couldn't it possibly just be that they're going back and forth for a long time where they're but like, it would have but the but the like the, the net doubling your time you know, time travel would have to be backward right yeah yeah because this couldn't happen like he can't be like the great grandson of someone because, like, there's not enough years to go backwards right, for a right. human life. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, my mind is already starting to overheat. Um, I guess just a couple more questions for you, Hunter. When did you see this movie? Like, uh, I saw it the day it was released on DVD. Okay, okay. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that was also because you mentioned you, you would have liked to have seen it in the theater. Yeah. So I assumed that's probably where you didn't see it. I agree. It definitely would have been, like, a classic 
you know popcorn movie like mm-hmm. something you'd want to see in the theater in IMAX actually because this was a, this was shot on 70 millimeter so it would have looked spectacular um on the IMAX screen but um you know pandemic problems mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but okay so one more question for you and this is specific uh-huh. to you because i'm a little bit familiar with what you studied in college yeah did you learn about any of this in thermodynamics entropy <laughs> uh like does it does did anything in this movie uh grip reality in a way that you're like yeah with the like my knowledge of physics or or, th- or thermodynamics there is some truth to this yes there is some truth to it um one of the biggest things too is like you see this the blue and the red consistently used to announce what's going forward and backwards. Mm-hmm. And like when light's coming backwards, it's blue. And when it's going forward, it has more of a chance to be red. Wait, what, what, right. what does red that shift, mean? Blue shift. Yeah. Red shift, blue shift. Like the colors mean something. Joey wow. might be able to. Okay. So, so like when you're traveling really, really quickly, like near the speed of light, um it's like a similar effect to the doppler effect right you know how like when a car passes you it like makes a sound like that sounds high pitched and when it's going away from you it sounds lower pitched it's like, similar yeah. thing yeah like, right yeah. it's a similar thing for 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 light but it, you don't normally experience it unless you're going really 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 fast faster than any human has ever gone and then what would happen if you went that fast is you would actually like the light would shift in the visual spectrum either toward the end, which would be blue, or toward the beginning, which would be red. Wow, that's really cool. That's pretty cool, Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> and also, the only, so the only one that didn't really, um, I think uh, the guy who does all the space stuff, he went and talked about it, but the only thing he like, really messed up with on the science was a reverse explosion wouldn't cause ice. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I definitely have some questions <laughs> but about I will, that. But you know, yeah. I will, you know, yeah. It, uh, it, it still hold up. It was like pretty cool to hear that type of stuff. Okay, well, I feel like I kind of using context clues understand what entropy is, mm. but I also would understand if someone was like, no, they just made up that definition for the movie uh, where yeah. it's like things don't have an inherent like motion through time or something. So, can either of you guys explain to me what entropy is? It's like the energy of an object. So, like when things are producing more heat and has a higher in- entropy, okay. like, I don't know. It's been so long. It's, since a, I, it's yeah. a, it's a measure of disorder. Yeah. Right? It's how so much. Ev- so, okay. So I, I really like this. It's kind of techno babble because it doesn't, doesn't have to make sense, but it, I, I, I very much appreciated this one thing. I'm going to play the quote for you. How about now it's inverted. Its entropy runs backwards, so to our eyes, its movement is reversed. We think it's a type of inverse radiation triggered by nuclear fission. I mean, all of that's like nonsense, basically. But the but entropy itself is a is a measure of disorder. So in the, like the way that the universe works, everything is trending toward disorder. Everything's spreading out. Everything is going away. There's an article I read from Screen Rant where they interviewed a couple of uh, like physicists, and they said like a good example of entropy is like a broken egg, right? You, if you break an egg, uh, like eggs break all the time, eggs don't reassemble all the time. So it gets more disordered because there's more, you know, as the egg breaks and everything, it comes back together. They actually say that there's a very, very small chance that the egg could reassemble if you put everything in the right order and everything. If the, if the molecules around it react in the right way, it could reassemble itself, which you could interpret as if you're a person, you know, peop- like human beings actually resist entropy because we put things in order. 
right? We're constantly, we're ordering things and stuff. So we could technically, with the right tools, reassemble an egg and then therefore reverse entropy for that object, right? But okay. anyway, okay. so that's kind of the, the idea. Anyway. But I, especially, I like this a lot because I think my personal theory about time is that entropy is proof that time is under illusion. Because there's a lot of mm. like things about how you know maybe from our limited perspective in the th in like the fourth dimension we can only see uh, things traveling in one direction, but really it's actually traveling in many different directions, and we can't we can't just can't perceive it that way. But entropy kind of is this independent thing that is linked to time, and uh, kind of in my mind proves that time is real. So when they say entropy runs backward, it's like, oh, that's kind of clever because it's like they were able to reverse this thing that is in, that inherently gives things duration um, so that it would work in the other direction. So I thought that was a, was a clever way of doing it. The, 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 um, the Screen Rant uh, physicist that they interviewed said that it's, uh, it's not 100% grounded in science. It's sort of inspired by it or an, an analogy to it, uh, which I think is a really good way of putting it. Sure. And I think that's good enough. It, that nobody is trying to say that Tenet is trying to prove some sort of possible future or some something that right. should exist or could exist. It's this just is for my fun. most plausible one, though. Yeah. Okay. And I appreciate that, too. I do like for them to actually try to make it something that's realistic or concrete. But again, I'm not going to hold them to some mm -hmm. sort of scientific standard and be like, this movie is actually bad because you can't actually time travel. <laughs> that would be a pretty <laughs> stupid reason to not like it. Yeah, the quote that Joey played, I think a little bit further, sums up this movie perfectly. It's uh, like, you just don't think about it. Yeah. Well, okay, so I, I do want to get into that. So um, the when I first... When we first talked about doing this episode with you, mm -hmm. Hunter, and you said you were going to do Tenet, Joey said to me, try not to understand it when you first watch it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best thing that you can tell anyone before they watch this movie. And Joey, go ahead and play the clip. How can it move before I touch it? From your point of view, you caught it. But from the bullet's point of view, you dropped it. The cause comes before effect. No, that's just the way we see time. Well, what about free will? That bullet wouldn't have moved if you hadn't put your hand there. Either way, we run the tape. You made it happen. Don't try to understand it. Feel it. So I feel like this was a very similar thing that the movie was almost saying. The same thing that Joey told me was don't get too caught up in trying to understand it. It's kind of a futile thing to try to attempt. Like you, you should just kind of... Go with the flow, feel it, mm -hmm. and um, because what that will do is it'll allow you to be in a headspace where you can just let go and not understand. Because well, yeah, the time thing, it's kind of in a sense a gimmick. It's not the main point of the movie. Sure, it's like the big selling point, but it's still a spy movie. Yeah, and there's this plot. Yeah, that there's a plot going on that you can still grasp uh, grasp onto to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. But also, just sticking with the movie for longer I'll, gives you a better chance to put the pieces together. So, like getting 45 minutes into this movie and still feeling pretty confused is okay. It's the on point. Your first view. Yeah, exactly. It is the point. It uh, doesn't pay off to the very end. Yeah, and I can understand people who get frustrated with this movie being too difficult to comprehend. Like I get that, but I think if you give it a chance, it's not generally it's not too difficult to figure out what's going on. Um, and I and I want to kind of describe how I see this movie 
playing itself out, like the way that it explains itself. Because this movie transitions between like two distinct type of scenes where it has the show don't tell sequences of pure action. Uh, we were talking about this. The movie starts out with one of these where they just get you right into it. There's no narrator. There's no exposition. You're just pure action and it's just happening. Right. And you're supposed to uh, collect information with your eyes and just see it. And then you, you those are next to scenes that are heavy uh, exposition dialogue scenes where it's just straight up nonstop talking where every single line is a huge information dump. Um, and, and that enables the, uh, the pure action sequences to exist, right? Because you get all that information and then they can kind of just let you loose on the, uh, the, the action sequences. Uh, but... I think as a result, this format requires those multiple viewings because if you miss a line here or you don't see something there, you can very quickly lose the the plot and then you feel frustrated because you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I felt the same way, especially like the there's a lot of moments of tension between the characters where they're supposed to be having this kind of intense dialogue and it moves so quickly. And not like just like what you said, where everything is. So everything's an information dump in every sentence, but also uh, like they, there's no pauses between inflections or anything. It doesn't feel like a natural conversation in any way. Everyone's just like talking really fast and like really short, like, like information heavy bullet points, you know? And even those moments that are supposed to be really tense between your characters don't feel tense at all because they're always sped up so much. And it feels like he's cutting out all of the like pauses and just leaving in like the dialogue. And then, of course, you know, I think you're about to say this, but like, it's impossible to understand what half of them are saying without subtitles because the music just uh, over obscures everything. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, like, because you're like, I want to know what's going on. But, you know, Christopher Nolan says, don't try to understand it. And by the way, it's really hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if you listen, I mean, if you watch um, The Prestige or even Inception, like these are qualities of Christopher Nolan films. And I think if you're good at watching Christopher Nolan films, if that's even a skill you can develop, then this is kind of par for the course. But uh, it's tough to get it all at once. It, it is definitely like, again, subtitles required. Um, so I, I, I get the frustration with that overall. I think you can get beyond it if you spend enough time working on this movie, but you know, that's asking a lot of your audience. Yeah. I've, I've heard that he's, uh, one of the more, uh, stricter to like dramatic, like screenplays. Like he kind of keeps up with his, uh, a strict formula. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like he definitely in a sense made this movie as complicated that he would like, cause you could make this movie a lot simpler and yes. sell it to more people. I heard, um, one of the ways I heard described this, the, somebody described this movie as it's not Christopher Nolan at his best, but it's Christopher Nolan at his most, mm. which mm. I totally agree. I with. like that. Yeah, I agree. It's, it could, it really could have been simpler, I think. And I think more accessible, which I really do think is to this movie's detriment because I think, for people like us on this podcast, like maybe we'll we're willing to spend more time trying to parse together all of this. But like for someone who is a more casual moviegoer, it's gonna be so it's gonna be so hard to get into this, right? To 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 just kind of sit down and try to relax and and enjoy an interesting story that you end up just feeling frustrated by the end, right? It it really does feel like. It feels like we've reached this point in storytelling where in order to tell something unique, you have to like go into this really obscure, strange place 
that is really abstract and hard for people to to grasp. Um, or, like that's at least that's what the way that Christopher Nolan thinks. And I don't know if I really agree with that, but that's what it feels like Tenet is. It's like, oh, original movies like have to be complicated now because all the simple stories have already been told. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to um, criticize someone for challenging us, right? Uh, but it's like, to what degree do you have to do that? And, and at what point does it become? Because I also think the plot is kind of contrived. Like, that's my main... Like, I'm okay with the concept of reverse entropy you know as a human who has only perceived time in one direction like we literally talked about this last week when we were talking about uh the hateful eight where i was like non-linear storylines transcend our perception of time like i was trying to be all like christopher <laughs> nolan with it um so i get that and that's difficult to to grasp but then some of the things that happen in this plot it's like what am i even we have to go to this arms dealer and then it's not the actual arms dealer it's the arms dealer's wife and she's like the front for it and then now we have to go to this northern european country and, and drive on the highway and we're stealing this from the government but we're doing it like it's like so many things that pile onto each other it's it's like the basis of the plot you can put bullet points and get down to something simpler but throughout the movie it just gets so contrived and complicated that i think you could have done something to make it a little bit more intuitive yeah like i i know there's like you know, like me and i assume like y'all well I got like pissed off that I didn't understand it the first time. I was like, I'm going to figure this movie out. <laughs> like, you're not beating me. Right. But there's a lot of people who'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not watching this. Sure. Um, and, you know, again, it's like different levels of what you want to invest in a movie to, to accomplish that. But um, yeah, some people want to watch Tom and Jerry and just relax and laugh for a minute. Sure. And, and there's a time and place for everything. But um, I, I think that this movie maybe goes to the point where it's more frustrating than it needs to be. Mm hmm. Right. Well, it's anytime you're telling an ambitious story, right? The 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 there's a there's a chance that it won't make any sense, <laughs> like that it will go too far. And I think this this edges over it. The you know the third time I watched it, I was I was more convinced than ever that it was a, that it was a pretty really interesting and good movie. But the first two times, the first time I watched it, I had the same advice given to me by my dad that I gave to you, Benjamin, which was don't try to understand it while you're watching it, um, which I think was mm -hmm. good advice. And then we, he and I, my mom talked about it for, you know, probably 15 or 20 minutes trying to understand just the mechanics of what was happening. Um, and then I ended up watching a bunch of videos talking about the plot. So I, then I understood exactly what the order of everything. And then I ended up watching it again and then watching it again for the podcast. And then I was like, okay, I think I, I think I have a better understanding of everything. And some of the things that really annoyed me the first two times didn't annoy me nearly as much as the second time, you know, but getting to that point, like, is it worth it? I guess, you know, for a movie like this, uh, with, like Christopher Nolan takes so much care and does so much good work in between all of the confusing bits. Um, it, it does feel it, it, there is like a payoff for it, I think. But, you know, if there was any other director who was not nearly as competent, then I don't know if I would be willing to go that extra mile for it. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that he, like the stunts, all of the set pieces and everything in this movie are absolutely incredible. They're they are they stand out as like just amazing. There's nothing like Christopher Nolan's stunt. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about those in a minute. Uh, but the, the it, just like you said benjamin like the, the plot is so confusing because not just because we're going back and forth in time but some people know things other people don't know things the the policy is to suppress everybody lies to each other about what they know or what they don't know which leads to interesting moments of a, and twists but also like 
it puts you on really shaky ground about where you are and like what's going on and what what you can believe right at the end it really does feel like anything could have happened and you would not have understood what the consequences of that action was which is like not the way you want to end the movie i think i think um you know it's something that christopher nolan does a lot of in some of his more i guess uh commercially available movies is uh kind of repeat repeat plot, plot elements talk about the same thing over and over again he does that a lot at the end talking about cat and how she has to kill Seder. right he says that at least five times in different ways um that's like but that could have been used in other areas to really kind of hammer home okay why is he stealing this what does Seder think it is no wait Seder knows that it's not this and priya knows it's not this and was sending him there so that he would steal it like, I did not catch any of that the first two times I watched it. It really took the third time to, for me to be like, oh my gosh, okay. So she's saying she wanted him to steal the thing so that he would assemble all of the algorithm together. She told him that it was plutonium, but it was not plutonium. It was actually piece the, of the, uh, algorithm. Yeah. the algorithm piece. Right. Gosh. So not only understanding how this all plays together, but like, like how, how, like who, who was the one who invented this and was like, all right, cool, let's destroy yeah. everything now? Because in my opinion, from what I'm gathering from it, the, the Lady M, Fleur Delacour from Harry Potter, forgot her name, but it's kind of uh, implied that she Kat. is the, yeah, no, not Kat. Uh, the, Priya? No, the, the blonde chick oh, yeah. who's like. Uh, the scientist. Yeah. The scientist, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I consider yeah, yeah. her, you know, like James Bond's M. Sure. Um, Q, you like, mean. So, yeah, Q. Q, that's right. Uh, and she's basically talking about like, yeah, we don't know how this was made. And he's like, oh, you didn't make it? And he's like, we haven't yet. Right, yeah. Because it's being manufactured in the future. Yeah, so does that mean that he ends up giving all this stuff to Sador just to beat him? Like... Is this the hardest flex on this dude because he <laughs> disrespected this woman? I mean, um, it, I mean, when you deal with something like this, it always makes you wonder. It's like, would this conflict ever end? Because if you have access to time-altering technology, couldn't you use that technology at any point to change time? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that gets into the more the, what's happened happened discussion. Um, but yeah, it's like, when does it end? When does it truly end? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so more things that I liked about it. I really did like the acting. I thought John David Washington was absolutely amazing. He really mm -hmm. was like transcendent. They, I watched a couple of um, like interviews with the cast and everything, and they talked about how he was just such a physical actor, um, and he like they got him to do all these stunts and everything, um, which was really, really intense. He said that it was he's like a really good athlete, but that he was like knocked out by this movie. This movie like totally wore him out, and. Um, yeah, I think he just did an amazing job uh, in, in every scene he was in. Um, I think Robert Pattinson also is pretty good. Uh, Kenneth Brana, Bar uh, who is the uh, our villain, he's he's scary. He's he's great. He totally disappears into that. I did not recognize him at all. Um, Nolan is also really often criticized for his f poorly written female characters. I want to guys. I kind of want to hear what you guys' opinion about Elizabeth Debicki's cat. Um, I really felt like she was she was pretty good. Like the first couple times I watched it, 
she, I felt she was super, super jarring. I thought again, like, oh, here he goes again. You know, she only cares about her son. Like the only characteristic that that a woman can have in this movie is that she's a mother, kind of thing. But I, I felt like she actually was a little more complicated than that. It wasn't just about her son or her husband. And even though she's not as coldly strategic or suave as the other characters. Like her actions are actually actually do make sense based on the values that she progresses throughout the movie. So it, uh, at first I was super annoyed by her actions at the end of the movie where she kills Seder early. But watching up to that point, there's lots of clues showing that she's going to do that and that she doesn't she doesn't make any promises other than she's going to do that, um, which I think is a, kind of a testament to her arc as a character too. Definitely, I thought she was great. I I agree. There are times where it's like. But they're like, the, if they if Seder gets away with this, he'll literally kill everyone. And then she's like, including my son. Like, <laughs> yeah, that we were including your son in everyone. But but I I other than that, I think it was a immaculate performance. I actually I mean I've seen Elizabeth Debicki in other movies, but not uh ones where she had such a starring role. Um and I thought she was great. I also I don't know, I like she's a tall queen. Like she is like um six foot three i love he's wow. just looking up at her every time they have a scene together <laughs> well sure it, but i i think that that's another thing to like progressive thing to do is to have a lead woman who's taller than than what we have as like, yeah. it, it's not even like pointed out or it's not like she has to be tall because her character is a basketball player or something like that like she's just another woman <laughs> and she's not a love interest is one of like she is a love it's implied love interest but it's not like shoehorn like yeah. the hobbit like yeah no. we're going to waste time making this like give them a kissing scene like all this stuff it's sure and, and i mean she does give john david washington a kiss in one scene but it's more of a platonic thing where it's like they have this uh bond through this conflict not because they're gonna get together i mean she's married already um even in an unhappy they get together? marriage like um, no, I, I think, I mean, cause it, there's, you could have ended the movie a little differently where there's like a kissing scene at the end, as opposed to having, uh, the protagonist killing Priya, you know, like you could have, uh, something that focuses more on it being a, a love story or the protagonist getting the girl, but it's not, it's, she's just another player in the game, which I think is, uh, more, way more compelling. So I guess to talk about, I don't know if this is the right part in this to be talking about it but i think they do get together Ooh, i don't know if we if you well, want me to go okay, into so that theory me, that i well sure but like let me just give you my why i think there's that's not implied is because john or not john um it's john david washington but the protagonist shows evidence of trying to be like a good guy throughout this movie um which not to say that being with somebody that you rescued is necessarily being a bad person but he rescues her and her son i think because he's a good person and he wants to do what's right as opposed to because he has some ulterior motive uh another example of this was in the opera scene at the very beginning he goes back in to remove the bombs from the mm -hmm. audience because he doesn't want those people to die it's not part of the mission and one of his guys even says like that's not the objective and he's mm -hmm. like it is mine now you know because um and i think that that bolsters him as this quote-unquote the protagonist yeah because he is out there to just be a force for good in general mm -hmm. uh whether that's saving an audience or saving cat and her son yeah i guess like my overreaching theory that i've like read a lot about is that he is that neil is the child oh my gosh and there's but neil is whose child he is uh 
Max, Maximil, Maximum or whatever his name, the kid, oh, he's the God. kid. <laughs> and one of the biggest things, so the three big clues that, there's actually a lot. I could talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Um, but he dyes his hair and uses a different accent. He's the only one in the movie as an actor who changed his hair, changed his accent. And one theory that I saw was, so if you take the French name of Max or whatever, and you reverse the last four letters, it's Neil. <laughs> and the whole thing is about suppressing uh, their whole, like, you know, they make it a pretty big deal about suppressing. So wait, wait, is it the, is Maximilian? Is that the name? And then you take the lat end of Maximilian and turn it yeah, into like Leo? the French, like the French way of spelling it. Maximilian. Yeah. Or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he knows more about John, uh, the main character than anyone should, yes. especially on their rules. And the first thing he asks as soon as he sees them is like, would you, would you take a kid as hostage? Would you hurt a kid? Yeah. Would you hurt a, a, a woman? Yeah. And oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really cool. Um, especially cause like, as soon as the movie's over, he's like, you're not going to go back there, are you? You're not going to talk to her. Not even from afar? Oh, uh, because he already knows. He already knows. <laughs> he knows the whole time. He's the only one who seems to know everything. Yeah. And for his young age, if he's going back in time, that would make sense. He's got a master's yeah. in physics, something that if you were... It makes you know, sense for yeah. what he's going to eventually do. Oh, my uh -huh. gosh. Okay, I like that theory a lot more than just, like, I think they get together because I ship them. Like, I think no. that they'd be a good couple. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everything yeah. that, like, Neil puts down is, like, is information that he would only know in which that could have just which been a friendship thing. Yeah, it could have just happened also, but yeah. it would be... it would. Also fit if it was him being the child. Mm -hmm. Well, why why does why does why doesn't Neil react when he sees his mom? Well, see, That's another thing question. I saw was like so when she's hurt, he's not even he's not a medic, but he's the one spending extra care on her, and like he's like, how do you know he's not a medic? Well, I mean, like, he's a he's a spy. Well, maybe he knows first aid. Yeah, but he probably knows I don't know. first aid. I think aid. that is a good question with Joey, where he's like, Neil does. I mean, unless you, we can find like, evidence. That, I've seen this theory, and it like, what I don't like about it is that there's no hint at it on the movie. You're, you're, it's, it's completely external, right? The name of Max is never confirmed to be Maximilian. Um, the he never interacts with his mom in a way that indicates that they know each other, right? And you can say, oh, the policy is suppressed, but you can say that about literally mm -hmm. anything. You can say that about you can make that case that if they're lying, they're lying. Right. About well, anything. and he also, um, if that's the case, then maybe he wouldn't mention it to um, John David Washington or to the protagonist either, right? That he's been knowing him for so long, right? Like if it was to conceal yeah, but that, it. but he explains why he knows him for so long. It's because he recruited him when he was, you know, in his right. past or whatever, which could mean anything. It could mean anything. Yes, that's how they yeah. know each other. Right. I don't know. I think it's an interesting theory. This is the type of movie that you have theories for, though. Mm -hmm. You know that. Uh... Yeah, I've seen that. No, I, I saw this a bunch. I, I saw a couple of vid videos where like, well, obviously Max is Neil, and I'm like, oh, really? And I looked it up, and like, there's all just Reddit mm -hmm. threads of, of of tiny like people are like, oh, you know, Maximilian backwards, but you know, special spelling of it, and it's not the entire name; it's just Neil. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just. <laughs> The, it's just silly the, to me. The <laughs> him he so him changing his accent. He also knows Estonian, which is uh, Sator's language, but not backwards. Is it? But not. <laughs> no, I'm just no I know. <laughs> is 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 uh yeah? Wait, is Sator speak Estonian? He speaks. I think so. I think. I don't. I mean, know. I don't know enough about Estonian language while they're in Estonia. 
Um, but also he could just be I a think great... he does say he does say I thought this I thought you spoke mm-hmm. Estonian. He says, Oh, it's not Estonian, yeah. it's backwards. Um I I don't know. Like I don't know what that's proof of either. I mean lots of people learn lots of languages, especially spies. Okay, well I, I'm gonna pull us back from this yeah. theory as much as I enjoy this theory because there's plenty to talk about. Yeah. Um so what uh keep us moving here, Joey. Okay. Um the things that bother me the most about this is that it, there's so much about this movie that's constructed aesthetically so well, but I'm constantly asking myself, but how? How does this work? The same thing, the same exact things that Hunter mentioned earlier about the uh, the car chase and the gun and everything. Like, I don't have a perfect understanding of how guns and cars work, but I understand that they're like, like there's chain of there's there's a chain of events, right? You pull the trigger, and then a bunch of things happen in a specific order in order for the gun to fire. So unless the gun is also inverted, how can it possibly catch a bullet, right? Because it would have to be operating backwards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so stuff like that, just like, uh, it took me out of it because I was like, again, I was like trying hard not to understand it, just to to feel it. And after I watched it a few times, I kind of was able to let that go. But those moments are moments where I'm focusing on the mechanics of the story instead of the dialogue that's mm-hmm. happening in the movie and i'm like and then i'm even further confused because i'm like wait did they explain it or or is this just yeah gonna be i mean the, the one thing that helped me with that was the having the where she explains that cause and effect don't necessarily have to be in the correct order that's just how we perceive time right but i still i'm just that's like a now i'm building my faith off of this one sentence uh like i it still doesn't really make sense to me yeah which i think is which i think is fine for the most part um, I mean, that's the thing is like, I mean, Nolan's always pushing the limits of craft with his movies and, uh, you know, there's always these really unique scenarios and this movie is no exception. And it's in all of these, uh, interesting things they build up as, uh, with the uh, inversion is so creative and they just make it, they just kind of build on it over and over again. Right. They, they introduce it slowly and then they have all these little conceits about like things going forward in reverse, which is really fun. And then it just goes into like wild mode where they're just like, okay, well now we're going to start inverting things all over the place. You never know what's going to, what's going to be going forward or backward, which is, uh, it's just really cool. Cause it's like, it really shows you the possibility that this kind of technology has, which I think is, is really fun. Um, but again, like you spend all this time thinking about, okay, well wh- what exactly is happening? The thing that really stood out to me that was really confusing was the car chase. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the car chase, Andre gets the device. How does he get the how does he get the algorithm piece? I think I watched this like six times and I still don't think I understand what happened. Do you guys have any better answer? Hunter, maybe you do. He says that he see so he recognizes that he's the reverse guy in right. the car and he just kind of he sees that it gets thrown in the car. Right, but then it gets thrown out of the car. Right. See, <laughs> I, but see that's not even that like That part is so crazy, right? Because the, it but that's just the case, too. I don't even know what's really going okay, so, on there. So, yeah, this is the part that confuses me so much, right? So, in conventional time, so going forward in time, Pratt throws the uh, uh, algorithm into another car to distract, like, as a distraction or, like, as a diversion, basically, and throws the, the empty case to Seder. Um, that car turns out to be the exact same car that's sitting outside of the turnstile later, but he doesn't know that. Because if he did, then he would just go out there and grab the algorithm, right? It's not until he's driving that he suddenly realizes the algorithm's in the very car that he's in. But for some reason, he doesn't recognize that um, he is in the car that he threw the algorithm into, you know, not even 10 minutes ago. Yeah. 
I don't mm. understand it either. Like, <laughs> because when he when he's driving, now we're in reverse mode. So after he goes yeah. through the turnstile, he, it's it's go, everything is happening. The world is happening uh, it, from our perception in reverse. The algorithm piece flies out of the car that the protagonist is in, back into the hands of the forward time protagonist. Yes. So is that where Seder gets it? Like, does it does time go like beyond that where Seder is able to get it further into the past? But or... then how? Because then they would have confronted him because he would have been there. Yeah. Right? If, if what's happens happened, then if Seder somehow got the device by following it backwards, just like Prompt did, then why weren't they fighting Seder on top of the truck? Because Seder would have known, would have followed him backwards and found the thing at the same time they did. Right. So I guess. So how does he get it? Where? Yeah. Where does Seder actually acquire the algorithm in all of this? I have no idea. Hunter, do you have any answers for us? I thought that. No. <laughs> <laughs> that one is uh honestly it has me stumped and i hope I, that it makes I, sense. I have to i have to believe that, like you said that there is an answer to it i'm just missing something mm -hmm. like you like you mentioned that you can see him throw the thing into the car i missed that as many times as i watched it but i i um well you can't yeah. actually see him throw it what you, you see is him throwing the empty case and you can see no, he still can has see the it. algorithm you can, see, you can well, see him throw it on the reverse hand you can see it fly in yes yeah but, but yeah right, you right, completely right. don't you, see it on the but first, when you will do the forward. first, yeah, when yeah. you do the first forward scene, you don't actually see him throw it, but you can see that it's not in the case when he throws mm -hmm. the case because it's still in his hands. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know where it actually links up with Seder. Like, at what point does Seder actually acquire the algorithm from all of that? Right. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. The whole thing is very, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I was, I, what I want to do is just take those pieces of that movie and just play it forward and backward, forward and backward, kind of like the, mm -hmm. the scientist does in the lab. But again, like, like why? Like the thing is, like, would I? What would I get from this, right? Would it finally make sense? And where uh, would I be like, "Ha ha, Christopher Nolan, you were wrong. This makes no sense." <laughs> like, what, what am I looking for, even? You know, like I feel like I want to do that over and over again, but I still wouldn't get any satisfaction from it. Um, I mean, it's fascinating to talk about, but it's frustrating because you don't have a good answer. If you know, I I wish there were just more throwaway lines about like, okay, you know, you're not you're not uh, shooting the bullet, you're catching it, right? Like, you're not driving the car, the car's driving you kind of thing. Like, I don't know, something thrown in there to kind of give you an idea of, like, how, um, you know, what's going on and, and like, how things work. Because that's the thing that really interested me was, was how this whole thing, uh, you know, worked out. The, the, the other part that's really confusing to me is the end the ending where there there's two faceless armies facing yes. off against each other oh and they're gosh. constantly changing perspective the first time i watched it it was it was chaos i had no idea what was happening at all the second time i picked up on the that big diversion where right at the halfway point they both shoot the same building one in reverse one in, in uh in conventional which was really cool yes mm -hmm. there the third time I watched it, I had a, I think I had an actually pretty good understanding of what was happening in, in who I was watching because I was paying close attention to Wheeler, who was the, uh, the leader of the, uh, the blue team who was going in inverted, uh, reverse in time. And then I was paying attention to Ives and the protagonist who were going in the other direction. So every time I saw them, I understood I was seeing it from their perspective and they would, the music would change too. So there's there yes! subtle clues. Yes, oh, the backwards mm -hmm. music is so good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like it's, not, it's, was, it's not literally backwards, but the way that they use the, like whatever effects, it sounds mm -hmm. like it's going in reverse. Oh yeah, it sounds super cool. They use it so much throughout the movie. The, the music is awesome. Yeah, so there's subtle clues that kind of give you a hint about what's going on there, but it, it, it's so so there's not enough there 
for you to be like, oh, I understand perfectly what's going on, right? It's like, oh, we're going to tell everything from one direction to the other. It's, it's, it's a super ambitious thing to shoot, and it just feels like there's not enough context there for me to really put my like, feet down and be like, okay, I understand what's going on here kind of thing. Well, and I, I, as I understood yeah. it, like that final battle was like the actual fighting that was going on wasn't actually supposed to accomplish anything. It was all supposed right. to be one big diversion from the pincer movement, which is the mm -hmm. real objective of the mission. And I think once I understood that, that everyone else is just kind of running around causing chaos, then I, it was easier to just kind of be like, okay, that's clearly chaos. So mm -hmm. I think I understand it um, as opposed to thinking like, why specifically did they have to blow up that building that way? Um, and also how does that even, I, that still melts my mind to try to think about like how that building destruction even works. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, it, it's, it's hit with a conventional explosive and by inverted explosive, but they hit different parts of the building. One hits the bottom, one hits the top. Um, but then I don't even know what scene I'm looking at when it's like as rubble. I'm like, am I looking at the reverse version of it? The, yeah. the forward version of it? Cause like. Yeah. Like what happened to yeah, that yeah. guy who got trapped into the wall that went into mm -hmm. reverse? Like if I were to look at that scene in forward motion, just normal time going on, would it be like a guy suddenly comes out of a wall? Like would the wall <laughs> fall apart and he'd come out with it, you know? Or like what am I looking at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly oh, what right. I was hiding. The, the wall would explode and he would and he would get knocked into the explosion. And then, like, like walk through the building, I guess. And then, I guess the then he would start moving in, Well, I guess, yeah, then he would be moving in reverse from my perspective, yes. right? So he would yes. actually... That could happen. Okay. I, I, it's just so hard to stop thinking linearly. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's so hard to think about, like, to have both of those things happen at the same time. I mean, it's really clever to be like, okay, now we're going to start mixing things, and it's going to be really... It's going to be really crazy. Um, but Especially when know. you don't see them going through the turns, so, like, Neil... I can't tell you how many times he, he goes back in the end. He's <laughs> yeah, doing yeah. a lot how of many stuff. Time, yeah. How like, many times is he in there? Yeah. He's, yeah, there like, he's, he's like three or four people in that fight. So, Yeah. And there's stuff going on. All this stuff's going on at the same time. Like the opera scene's going on right now. Right. Well, right. And it, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, and it's also just frustrating because sometimes they don't pick the best camera angles for information. <laughs> like they're choosing dynamic, mm -hmm. dramatic camera angles when I'm like, no, no, no. Show me the stuff that's happening so I can keep track of what the hell is happening right now. Like that's part <laughs> of the reason why the, the car chase scene is so freaking frustrating is because the handoff that happens immediately cuts to like these really zoomed in, barely half of the cars in the frame uh, scenes where it's like, I can't tell what the hell is happening now. So that, like, I really, already it's complicated, and you're giving me limited information on top of that. I'm not a huge yeah. fan of car scenes. Like, Baby Driver did a great job. Yeah. But one of my, like, biggest, I guess, upsets that didn't have anything to do with time is that scene, the car scene. I mean, I had a lot of difficulties with the car scene, because I don't feel like the car, like, the car should be going backwards, yeah. forward. Yeah. Deal. What the heck is that? Well, yeah. how does that make any can sense? I, well, that, can, can I just say something about like the the way that the physics works in this? Wouldn't a um, they're they're driving combustion engines, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't yeah. that not work because it would be reversed? Well, or... they, the car's not reversed. Oh, right, that's right. So it wouldn't actually. It's the world isn't reversed. It's just yeah. that's right. But, but my biggest problem with that one was like, so the cars are going really slow, and I know that's like, you know, getting a good shot safely. But when you can see when she's about to hit 
that traffic jam. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's like five seconds. And then it's like another minute's passed. And yeah. it's like, I'm still <laughs> trying to get to the break. Oh, I didn't even like really apply the break, but we got a perfect stop. Yes, that was my problem too. He clearly didn't stomp on the brake. Like, <laughs> yeah. It didn't even like the brake went all the way down. Uh, but again, I think that's getting into cinema sins, like tiki yeah. tacky territory. Yeah, that very much but is. When there's plenty of other things, like one, one situation that still breaks my brain is how did he... Like when we're at the turnstile in Oslo and he's it's the second time they're going there to put Catherine through the the Mm -hmm. turnstile and the protagonist gets blown through that like metal door because of the explosion of the engine. He gets sucked. He gets sucked out of it. Right. So so when we're looking at it in reverse, so this is the second time we're there. And the protagonist is like, I'm going in. And he runs up to the outside of the door. That was a great run. When he's like, follow, like when Neil's following him, that was like one of yeah. the best well, visually scenes. Well, and, and I mean, this is how it gets us back to, you know, that's it's, it's when we first start interacting with that fight where it's the protagonist versus the protagonist. The explanation for him getting blown under that wall, what exactly is that? Because the explosion goes in reverse. So it like unhappens. And then that seems to be the thing that launches him through that wall. So what force is actually acting upon him to send him through the wall? So it's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Aaron. From what I understand from that is like the engine exploded. So he wasn't doing it, but then because it's going reverse, eventually it's not exploding. The engine is just going. So it ends so that, up pushing oh, so, him through. Okay. So the engine is pushing air out the front of it uh, using like, it's like that's something that an engine normally would do. Yes. And okay. then, Okay, because that makes sense, too, because when it came back together, like a bunch of stuff like got spewed out in front of it, Mm -hmm. which made me think like, so if like is an engine normally taking air in from the front? So then if you're going in reverse, all that would be pushing forward. So that's why it blasts him underneath the door. It's like just kind of uh, it's not the explosion at all. It's actually just the mechanics of the engine. I think I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember exactly which order things happen in the like. From what I understand, like he gets, he gets sucked. He would get sucked by an explosion. So if an explosion happened, he would be sucked toward it. Sure. Because he's in reverse and everything else is going forward. Yeah. Right. So that's why he like, that's how he gets out of there. Right. He gets sucked toward the explosion. Mm. Oh, okay, okay, mm. okay. Right. That's what that's what you see at the when he when he escapes. Right. Um, that it, when you're watching it for the first time in regular time, he suddenly gets pulled through the door, mm-hmm. right? And it's because the explosion happened, and because he's he's inverted, he gets sucked toward the explosion. Okay, so then in reverse, when like from the perspective of someone going in the from his perspective, he would get blown by the explosion, okay. or from the explosion's perspective. Oh, jeez, this is <laughs> I'm I'm. My, Jesus my brain is starting to overheat. Let's, uh, I, I guess let's, let's move on uh, to our cool Easter eggs section. Um, and I think you had okay. some pretty cool Easter eggs for us, Hunter. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this entire movie seems to be palindromes. Yes, definitely. So, um, there is the Sator Square, which... What had, is that? So this is, it's like one of the first documented cases of a palindrome. Um, It's from like, I want to say either Pompeii or like the Roman times. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the words that are in there are Sator, 
which reverse um, is Rotas, mm-hmm. which happens to be the company uh, of the Freeport. Right, right. Like you see Rotas written outside of the um, the, the turnstile in Oslo, and it's uh, also written on the shipping containers that go between the Freeports. Yeah. yeah. And then Arepo is the guy who made the fakes. Yeah, the artist, the, the French artist. artist. Yeah. The movie starts out in an opera. Yep. Um, and those are, yeah, the, and then uh, backwards tenet. of each other. Yeah, I mean, like... And so, I, so is the word tenant... So I guess what I'm asking is, is this Sator Square... Like, this is something people found, like an artifact from a past uh, society? Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah, it's very old, and it's a perfect palindrome in, all, like, in any direction with any of the words. Wow, okay. Right, right. So, yeah, there's a really good picture of it. it what it is, is it's the five words, Sator, Repo, Tenet, Opera, and, and Rotas spelled on top of each other and then if you're looking at it from any direction right so backwards it spells it has all the same words downwards or up it has the mm-hmm. same words it doesn't work mm-hmm. diagonally uh, diagonally it's cerns and urns. <laughs> but um it does work in every other it's pretty cool to look at uh yeah yeah it's a neat it's a neat little like uh easter egg to have in there and to, and for nolan to include all of these words in different ways into the story is pretty cool yeah actually i thought i was being galaxy brained because i was like oh rotas and sator backwards but i never knew that they all like mm. fit together in this uh this square like this um that's pretty cool i mean it, it definitely is more satisfying to know that this is sourced from somewhere because just making up the word sator and rotas it's like very good you have a backwards of it i guess but there's a nonsense word but now that i know it's sourced for something it, it makes it a little more meaningful right. um, all right what else you got hunter um so not only are they doing that but so when he eventually when he first gets recruited he gives him a hand signal yes and he makes a palindrome with his hands yes yeah, it's and cool. it, it looks like the turnstile, too. Like, the turnstile has, like, rivets in it that kind of make it... Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was interesting, too. It took me until the second time I watched to realize that they had, like, a different style of turnstile on the uh, when they're out in the ocean, mm-hmm. and they're putting all those soldiers in reverse, where instead of it being side-by-side side and rotating... Uh, like on a horizontal axis, like it, it rotates uh, vertically, like you go down to a bottom level to to, to get off, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was kind of interesting. That was a cool scene. Oh yeah, the the proving windows and stuff. Oh, it's really clever. It's a cool detail to include. Like the, uh, it's just really really cool to to watch that happen. Every what time. would have been a, a sad but cool scene? So that proving window, like so, if you don't see yourself come through, something went wrong. Right. Well, there's one time that Neil goes through and he doesn't see himself come back out and he still uh, goes in. And I think that would have been a cool scene to see. Well, I guess what would have own. to happen? Would you have to die inside of it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, you would still, see, as long as the machine worked, you would still come out well, of it. It's not that you die in the next, well, in if the you next didn't, go around. Yeah, if you didn't, you died during that pass through, so you weren't able to make it back you didn't get your reverse entry or your regular entry i can't yeah right right. well yeah if you if you enter it and then you don't you don't see yourself coming out you don't exit the machine so the machine kills you okay oh i was i see i was under the assumption that so if you go in and you don't see yourself come out that means that's your second entrance is when you're reverse entrancing 
So that's you went in. No, no, that's that's the that's the immediate exit. That's you moments from now once you go through it because you, your time in reverse starts from the time you enter it. Right. So like even though it looks it? like you're going in reverse, uh, you're actually coming out immediately. Like you're it's not like right. you're later running up to it and like syncing up your time. It's you coming out of it yeah. immediately. Um, so like even so he would well, still he, walk he, out. Well, when he's fighting himself, he is running to try and get to it that activates his first time because I, maybe yeah. it's just there's so many layers to it. <laughs> actually, well, okay, this actually reminds me because we haven't talked about this yet. Like, do we know why he tries to shoot himself when they're hand to hand fighting? He's pulling back uh, yeah. the whole time. He knows that his original self is like trying to eliminate this guy. You know, he already almost saw himself get shot, and you know that he loses information the further he gets. So when you see him shoot, he kind of like he jumps his hand, like he's just trying. He's Getting rid of the gun, so... Okay, so he's, like, just trying to spend bullets as opposed yeah. to actually trying to shoot him. Um, so the, I mean, that effect works really well the first time you see it because you're like, holy cow, this guy is almost getting shot. But then when you realize that he knows that it's himself, it's like, why would you ever risk it? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways. One cool thing I also noticed, too. So when they're going to the Freeport and they're, you know, doing their time breathing and they're about to have that... He's holding his, he gets an espresso. He doesn't drink it or anything, but once that grenade goes off, he notices it ripple. Uh, and that's when he starts breathing. And if you have on the subtitles, oh you can gosh. even see that it says rumble. Yes. And then he notices it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Especially because he was so uh, intentional about what he drinks while he's on the mission. I thought it was weird that he would order an espresso. You know, at the very least, it might make you have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. But he was using it for uh, like a tactical reason. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And like, I guess, I don't even know if it would be considered an Easter egg. But so when they first do, when they're coming to... The final fight scene. Yeah. Or how, however you want to word it. You can see him getting pulled. He's pulling them out. Like the car is there in the first scene. Yes. Yeah. And like you can see like, oh, there's the car rolling up. There's like. Yeah. There's multiple times you're like, oh, that's him doing the final thing that he's do- doing. That's definitely one of the better things about the second watch through is you're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, there's a the car. I know exactly what this like. It all makes sense. It all adds up. Yeah, I was so I, I looked for all those things. It's, it's hard to spot because I was trying to pay attention to so many different things. But yeah, I love seeing those little details of overlapping time and how they're used like that. It's really yeah. Cool. When he's in the windmill, he's doing pull-ups, and at the same time, he's doing pull-ups in reverse on the ship. Yeah, outside of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so that's even just like more mirroring. Uh, and like it starts off. With just a cool little Easter egg of just like, you don't know what's going on time wise. And he's like, oh, looks like time's going a little fast. Let's just pull it back an hour. And then title scene. Oh, yeah. Playing with the, oh, I didn't even think about that too, Mm -hmm. though. Like playing with the concept of just uh, bending time to your will. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the part that really uh, I I really liked about that is the two trains are going in opposite directions, and they, you have like the wide angle lens, so you can see both of them at the same mm-hmm. time, kind of implying like the forward and backward direction we're going to be going from the movie. That I, I do cool feel too. like we've gone on a like a, a pretty long stretch here of like being frustrated with this movie. I do want to like <laughs> just throw in a couple more words of praise because that uh that title sequence was really good. Like when mm-hmm. when I heard that it's like a Christopher Nolan movie, I'm looking for it to be good because I I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan. And I felt like the, that first part of the movie really delivers um, just on a cinematic experience where it gets you invested and you're like, OK, I, I know this movie's long, but I'm, I'm ready for the journey because um, like they don't show the word tenant until after he takes that pill. And it's, it's all very intense, even if you don't know what the hell is going on yet. One interesting thing I also picked up on. So the pills don't work. Right. Sator was destined to fail because he was going to kill himself with the pill. Well, okay, hold on. So that pill, he did say he borrowed it from the CIA, and that's allegedly where the protagonist got his. But are we saying that all um, suicide pills don't work? I feel like... If I was in the CIA, yes, I would make all of them not work, because that's, that's, (laughs) I mean, if someone's going to take it, that's the person I really want. Yeah, but I mean, isn't it to stop you from, like, submitting to torture? Yeah, but if, if if you get out, like... If they don't know that it's a fake one, it worked. I mean, it worked mm. perfectly for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, he, they give him another one, right? While he's in the windmill yes. or mm-hmm. the wind turbine or whatever, he pulls out in his bag, he has another pill. Is that one supposed to be fake too? I, you know, if you tell me one's fake, they're all fake to me. Mm. But. <laughs> but he's another level in, yeah. you know? Yeah, imagine what, like thing they unlock when he takes that one some new mm-hmm. and i assumed i assumed that that was the one that Sater had was the one that he got that off mm. of the protagonist when he captured him uh on the oh, boat interesting but i don't know right. if he did sure. say he, he got it from the anywhere. cia specifically so maybe because he definitely right. um doesn't buy the protagonist's story of being involved in the arms deal he's like no you're obviously uh somebody who is intelligence because you're so good at covering your tracks right which like i thought that was I, that that scene also confused me that's another example of like the dialogue just moving really really fast um like okay so i think well, uh, hunter correct me if i'm wrong but i think the uh what i'm, sp- what I'm supposed to take away from that is that he the protagonist admits that he's in the CIA and is there to buy or to sell um, uh, something, the, the, the plutonium, to Seder as part of some obscure CIA mission, right? Uh, he, at that point, he drops all facade and says, um, you know, I am part of the CIA and I am, uh, I'm here to sell you some, some uh, mass, you know, some nuclear weapons. Mm, that's okay. So I took that as... Uh, I'm anyone who wants to actually get into the trade. It, I mean, you're going to get free training and learn everything through the CIA. Like a smart person would use the CIA as like coverage. I see. So he's, um, so he used to be in the, he's saying I'm ex CIA. I used to be in the CIA, but now just like a double agent type deal. Like I'm in, like it could be previous or I'm in it, but I'm just like, Okay. Using the CIA because that's where two thirds of the nuclear stuff is. Yeah, yeah. Because he said, because he says you wouldn't do business with someone who wasn't smart enough to get recruited, implying mm-hmm. that he was part of the organization, but not necessarily that he still is. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. That he's like an independent but, buyer. Um, he yeah. Used to be in the CIA, 
But okay. I, I want to go back to what you said, though. It's like another situation of like Christopher Nolan dialogue where they're like, okay, we're going to have a really important conversation. Let's do it on this boat where like there's all this wind noise and you have to speak through these headphone helmets. And like this is all very important stuff that we're talking about, but we're going to distract you and have other noise to make it harder to hear while we do this. And it's like, okay, I guess. So no one else is listening. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess. But for cats. I mean, what's, yeah, what's safer talking to each other or broadcasting it through these little <laughs> microphone headphones that you have on your helmet yeah like, yeah as if he's not being constantly watched by some government or other you know Could, yeah couldn't mm. somebody else pick up that noise and be like wow this is actually way easier now that they're just speaking into literal microphones <laughs> instead of just talking to each other i don't know i think uh, that the whole <laughs> scene was just to see those fast boats like yes. do that that 360. Well, actually, those boats are called. That's one of my Easter eggs. Was I looked up what those boats are called, and they're F-50 sail race boats, and they're some of the fastest sailboats in history with speeds that expe- exceed 50 knots, which is about 57 and a half miles per hour. That's and so tense. they exceed that, so they can go even faster. It was really weird. As I was preparing for this, I went out... Uh, I guess I was, I don't even know where I was at, but I just look up. I've never seen these sailboats before in my life and it's on TV. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. mean, these were, these would be the ones you'd put on TV cause they, they look like they really fly. They're mm-hmm. screamers. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Although I don't know if you'd die if you just fell off of them. I guess Sater's a little bit older, but he's got the pulse of a man half of his age. So what was the point of having all the air system stuff if they weren't using it too? That was weird. And they're like, are we going scuba diving? Like, they had oxygen uh, on them. Yeah. I, don't I was know, like, maybe... are they going to go fa- so fast that they need oxygen? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't All know. if they're going backwards in time. <laughs> well, um, another, another Easter egg I had was there was bisexual lighting in this movie. What? Have you guys heard about the concept of bisexual lighting? Yeah. No. Yeah. Where did you hear about it, Hunter? Oh, man, just searching on the internet because there's been a lot of... Uh, a movie, especially in TV shows, or like yes. I mean, there's been a lot of like, especially like Euphoria, mm-hmm. like that that episode of Black Mirror, San Bernardino mm-hmm. or whatever is is like one of the quote unquote like origins of bisexual lighting, which that makes sense in that context because there's two bisexual characters who are the main love interests in that episode of Black Mirror, but the like the, there's a definition for bisexual lighting and there's kind of a conversation around whether or not it's a thing. And uh, so the definition is the simultaneous use of pink, purple, and blue lighting to represent bisexual characters. Uh, and that happens in this movie during the interrogation scene that happens after the car uh, heist. And it's definitely blue, like, purple pink kind of colors really what you're seeing is the red on one side and the blue on the other side of the proving window that are kind of blending together for the lighting but it definitely looks exactly like some of these other examples people bring up of bisexual lighting i think another one is drive has bisexual lighting. the movie drive with ryan gosling um and and the the Question is whether or not bisexual lighting is a thing. I think that this movie derives the meaning from that with this whole red forward, blue backwards kind of motif that we see throughout the movie, but it does fit the characteristics for bisexual lighting. So I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, the protagonist is bisexual. Well, no, no, no. Everyone in the room is bisexual. (laughs) All of Sater's men, Kat, Sater himself. 
All of them are bisexual. And then right. Ives and uh, Neil, all of them, when they enter in, and their, their whole crew, also bisexual because they they enter into the lighting. That's just how it works. You get the right <laughs> combination of lights, so you suddenly become bisexual. Right. Well, and I'm, and I'm kind of poking fun at this idea because there's, there's also kind of two schools of thought with bisexual lighting. Some people are saying bisexual lighting is good because it's... Um, like good for representation because bisexual characters are kind of underrepresented in the culture. But then there's sure. the other side of it where it's bisexual lighting is stupid and stereotypical and they're literally manufacturing a stereotype about bisexual people. And is that productive to be like, <laughs> Oh, well bisexual people just love bisexual lighting. It's like, uh, yeah, it's super limiting. This? Yeah. You know, like, like if you want to have a bisexual character, you have to light them a certain way. Or, like, have a scene where they're lit a certain way. I guess it'd be kind of an in a cool Easter egg, but it would not, like, I don't know if, he, I don't know if it would be enough. You know, I, I, the movie, like, this movie and then Drive use interesting lighting to tell, to kind of, like, you know, for artistic effect, way more than it is to, like, convey anything about the characters. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to point that out because people have been memeing about this a lot. And that scene is undeniably bisexual lighting. Whether or not bisexual <laughs> oh, lighting means anything. That interrogation was undeniably <laughs> bisexual. Yeah, the, the actual, the tough part of that scene for the protagonist was trying to decide who he's more attracted to, Cat or Sater, like, <laughs> on the other side of the glass. So, um, <laughs> anyways, that is is one of my easter eggs another uh easter egg john david washington um you were mentioning how physical his role was well he actually played football in college he played at morehouse college and as a senior he led the conference in rushing yards with uh 1198 yards which was a school record at morehouse college and he also had a 5.6 yard average uh nine touchdowns and 10 receptions for 69 yards. So like all pretty impressive stat lines for college football. He, uh, he also has the school's single game yardage record with 242 yards in a single game, which is an insane amount. And, uh, and his career rushing yards are also the school record with over 3,600. So all that's probably just football jargon, but it is, it is, he actually had an impressive college football career uh, at Morehouse College. Like he wasn't just a guy. Like someone I can compare him to is The Rock. The Rock also played football, but he didn't play football like John David Washington played football. Like he really played football. Um, although I will have to say this as well, um, he didn't have any success in the pros. He got signed to the St. Louis Rams, which is a team that no longer quote unquote exists because they moved to LA. Um, and he never played a regular season down. He played in NFL Europe in the United football league, but those don't really count. Um, and he was also a football player in HBO's ballers with, no Alt way. which also has Dwayne Johnson. He played Ricky Jarrett. <laughs> Uh, was a wide receiver, um, so kind of cool. Like he, he, that physicalness comes from. Uh, I, I, I think as an American football fan, I have to be like, well, he's clearly he learned that by playing the, the beautiful game. Uh, and then finally, my last Easter egg: John David Washington is Denzel Washington's son, mm. which we kind of teased at the beginning here by calling him Denzel Junior. I didn't actually know that until I saw this movie, and um, I think it's great to see him doing so well for himself. Despite, you know, it's it must be tough to get out of his father's shadow, but I think he's on his way. Wait, yeah, definitely. Oh, so he's this great. isn't a joke? No, that's his, he he's really, really is his son. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, because again, I didn't know about him because it's like, well, you got to see the movie. Like, for instance, I'll compare him to another famous person's son, Chet Hanks. 
I know who Chet Hanks yeah. is because he's. Why do you know that? Because he's Tom <laughs> Hanks' son. Okay, I don't know him because he's of his. He's not own. even the most famous ta- like Hanks sit like uh you know offspring. What about what about Colin Hanks? He's like one? an actual actor. He's not very good, but he's an actor. Sure, um, but I I guess I I just want to compare it because Chet Hanks is so like only popular because he's Tom Hanks' son. Like he does such wacky, ridiculous things. And it's because, and, and we know him because of that versus John David Washington, where he's been in multiple roles that are, are really stellar. And um, you go to see them because of that, not because you're like, well, I like Denzel so much. I guess I'll watch his son's stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, go see Black Klansman. It's awesome. Great, great, great movie. movie. Um, I got a couple of really cool Easter eggs. You ready? Yes. Okay, this is from IMDb. The production, the production team purchased and then crashed a real 747 airplane into a hangar. The stunt was all practical effects with no visual effects or CGI. Director Christopher Nolan has originally planned to use miniatures and set piece builds. However, while scouting for locations in Victorville, California, the team discovered a massive array of old planes and became apparent that it would actually be more efficient to buy a real plane of the real size and perform the sequence for real on camera. That's awesome. That was such a <laughs> cool crazy. scene. Watching all those all cars of, sliding around. And, mm-hmm. All of the effects in this movie are real. Um, the, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hamish Patel, who plays uh, Mahir. He said that he never saw a green screen on, screen, uh, on set. Wow. It, the entire thing is practical effects. Everything's done, uh, they say, in camera. Um, it's all really, it's really, really impressive. And like Robert Pattinson in one of the interviews, I saw, he, I saw it, they were like, he saw in the script, like, okay, we're going to crash a plane. He's like, oh, that sounds like a really cool movie moment. How are we going to do that? And he shows up on set, and there's a plane that they're going to crash into a building. <laughs> He's like, are you serious? Oh, okay, we're gonna, the way we're going to get a plane to crash into a building in a, in a movie is going to crash a plane into a building. <laughs> <laughs> I got another one, which is, in addition to performing stunts backwards, the main cast actually learned how to speak in reverse for their roles. Sir Kenneth Bra- Barra sorry barna uh not only learned how to speak backwards but also had to do it with a russian accent he is a north northern irish in real life wow <laughs> i as a so, person we did that bit at the beginning of this episode uh, that's pretty difficult mm-hmm. it is it's a is it's not easy it's not as easy as just spelling things backwards you actually have to learn how to pronounce it um yeah, uh, most of the scenes were actually filmed twice, one in like reverse and one in conventional, and then they would do both of them, uh, you know, speaking both ways. And all of the stunts you see with like the protagonist and everything is all done in reverse and in uh, like in conventional. It wasn't just that they filmed it one time and reversed it. They actually had them doing all those things backwards and forwards. Oh my gosh. Uh, which is crazy. And, and then uh, they also shut down an eight-kilometer part of a freeway for three weeks to, to film the uh, um, the car chase and like the heist that they do on the road. Uh, so imagine like being like a a major part of your freeway. What is that like? That's uh, more than it's like four miles, maybe like four or five miles of your highway is shut down for a movie for three weeks. Like your commute uh, is just ruined. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for this movie. Oh, geez. It's so crazy. So, yeah, so much attention to detail and so much about this is going to look so good um, years and years from now because there's, it's absolutely done for real uh, as much as it can be in a movie. It's amazing. This is one of the least special effects uh, heavy movies of all time, uh, especially for Christopher Nolan. Um, it, even romantic comedies use more special effects nowadays <laughs> than this movie does. That's insanity. I saw in some of the points where, like, 
the main one that sticks out to me. So when he picks up the gear, when he's like first seeing stuff, that's not reversed. They have like an yeah. actual string, like connected to his arm. Uh, so they pull it up into yeah. his hand. That makes sense because everything else is going in forward motion. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how you, that was always breaking my brain too, trying to figure out how they filmed that portion of it. Because <laughs> some of it is obvious. Like when they did the thing where he poured it out of his hand in mm-hmm. reverse, like the the one where they literally film it and you yeah. get to see it forwards and backwards. That scene is clearly done forwards and they reverse it for the movie because they cut away from just his arm to see his reaction yeah. uh so that it's clearly two different things but that scene with the gear i was like how the heck did they but do the that? scene the scene right after that where he, she's explaining to not feel it to not I'm trying to understand it to feel it he pulls it out out of her hand right he's like he gra- yes. he, she's playing with on the table and then it bounces away into his hand and it immediately cuts up and he says a line so how do they do that? Maybe the same thing. He had a string or something or, or a, a sort of magnet or something like that. But yeah, like, yeah it's just the seamlessness between inverting and uh, reversing and uh, going forward um, is absolutely beautiful in this movie. Okay, so now we're ready to move on to our quotable moments. And I believe uh, Hunter's got that. Are the people saving the world from what might have been? Well, we'll never know what could have happened. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. Because no one cares about the bomb that didn't go off. Only the one that did. It's the bomb that didn't go off. The danger no one knew was real. That's the bomb with the real power to change the world. So yeah, that that's another like key takeaway in my uh, reasoning on uh, pushing this theory that Max and Neil are the same person. Um, he's talking about obviously the whole general aspect of the movie, but while he's talking about that, you see the mom and son just narrowly avoid dying, and how that's the real change. If we had lost him. None of this would have happened. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it definitely adds uh, more value to that final, like, cut, the, the final scene that we and see. And it's of them him doing away. it. I mean, like, why in the main, like, he isn't a, a narrator at any point until this very end. That's compelling. Hey. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Okay, let's, let's talk about what this movie, what is this movie really about? Um, it seems like it's about faith and fate. Tenet, right? It's like a, it's a, something that you believe in wholeheartedly. It's like an axiom, maybe. It falls into the same kind of traps a lot of other time travel movies do, where it's not actively investigating the possibility of changing the past, at least not satisfactory to my, to my uh, view. Uh, instead, they just kind of they just kind of assume it's impossible, or at least it appears impossible, to change the past from your perspective. And I got to quote uh, one last thing. Neil, wait. Just save the world. Can't leave anything to chance. But can we change things if we do it differently? What's happened's happened. Which is an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world. 
It's not an excuse to do nothing. Fate? Call it what you want. What do you call it? Reality. It's kind of a spooky line. So, I don't know, what, what did this... I think this sums up the movie pretty well. What's happened, happened, is something that Neil says a couple times. Uh, faith and fate and destiny are all kind of themes that come up. So I'm curious, what do you guys think about this quote and, like, the, I guess, the faith and fate elements of this movie? Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. This, like, sums up the entire movie. Um, it's interesting because this scene, like, in my, it's said that this isn't a uh, multiple reality type deal, but, I mean, I think we're seeing the one reality that, like, ends up, like, like, this is the one that had to win for everything to keep going. So, like, it... It, I, I really like the whole idea of him calling it reality. Um, you yeah. would do, yeah. So when the, they're doing the bullet, it's like, regardless, you're the one who did it. It was your hand. Yeah. Like, right. I don't know. Like, have you guys ever seen those online videos where they use ramen packets to repair things that you yeah. wouldn't think that ramen packets could repair? Like, it's like a, somebody has like a gash in their car and they like put ramen packets in there and then they sand them down oh, and they paint yeah. it. And then by the end, it actually looks like they really repaired the car and it looks like the original material again. That's what this statement is for me, where it's like, listen, you might have problems with how Tenet works. You might not understand everything that's happened, but trust us, this all makes sense. This all gets laid down. And even if you have to lean a little bit on fate, even if you have to lean a little bit on something that like you might not feel is totally concrete, it, it all holds up and it all does kind of blend together. I think it even does more for the movie, but life. Sure. Yeah. That's another, you could take it beyond that and say like, maybe you don't understand everything about life, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Like it's, it's yeah, reality. I used, I used to see this when I was younger, you know, I always see like crappy Facebook, like motivational things. And one of them was like this Rubik's cube that was unsolved or look, it was a solved Rubik's cube looking at a picture of an unsolved Rubik's cube and it's going, man, why did I think that it wouldn't happen? Yeah. Yeah. Like your perception is reality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I I like this idea of what you were saying of like how it kind of wraps it up, and I do like the idea that it's this movie is asking you to have faith in it, uh, just as the characters have faith in the events that happen in the movie that that things will work out the way they are. Like a hunter, you you mentioned the multiple realities thing. They kind of touched on that a little bit because Neil even says we don't know the the how our consciousness and multiple mm -hmm. realities interact with each other and that it's it's possible that there are other realities we just can't see them or we're switching between them uh, so seamlessly that we just can't we don't perceive that as a switch right we're we're navigating through a fifth dimensional timeline where things are moving uh between you're, you're moving between different uh aspects and the only one that you perceive yet you perceive or exist in are the ones that you're still mm -hmm. alive in um so you know it that what they they're saying like oh okay you know we have to stop this from happening uh because otherwise we wouldn't exist in order to make it happen or not happen basically um which is kind of circular reasoning but i it's an interesting like dynamic because it kind of pulls into this static timeline idea that like you can't actually change the past but you have a role to play in it and that you can um like you can still have changed things by even not doing something mm -hmm. I mean, he says it's not an excuse to do. It's an excuse. To, it's not an excuse to do nothing. 
sort of implying that like there's you have a duty to or like a, a fate or a destiny to fulfill um and that you you have a like a purpose that you have to do and the consequences of not doing that is you know i don't know death to everyone i guess but um you'll never know whether or not what you did actually affected anything uh it's very yeah. um i don't know it feels like a contradiction it also feels like a cop out, but it also feels pretty deep yeah. at the same time. I know. I agree with exactly <laughs> how you phrased that. Like it's it's so multifaceted because uh, they even say it's like the fact that we're doing this right now. Doesn't that mean we won? Like mm-hmm. the fact that time isn't already reversed. Doesn't that mean we won? And it's like I think so, but I, you don't know. It, that brings right. up like the uh, the grandfather paradox that they're using. Yeah, and yeah. I guess like we really don't know like. So Sator, his whole thing was he wasn't actually ending the world. He was ending this world. And he, he's essentially saying if we kill our granddad, we're still going to survive. And all the shit that he would have badly done doesn't happen. Which, right. I mean, like, yeah, we're playing off the, like, the ma- main character saying, mm, no, we can't kill our granddad in this paradox. And he's like, mm, yes, we can. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's so frustrating is that they both have different views of how time works. And if they, you know, they have a scientist in a lab who can invert things, like I can think of an experiment where you can actually, where you actively try to change the past and, you know, try to see what happens. Like, does that actually, if you can come up with something like that, then you'll know so much more about what's going on, right? You'll know whether you're in a multiverse, you'll know if you're a static or a dynamic timeline. You'll be able to change, you'll know if you can change things or not, and like what the consequences of that are. Instead, you're left with this kind of vague feeling of like, oh, we have to do all this stuff and like have this very complex understanding of how the world works now, but like we also can't understand how it works. Like it's not possible to understand how it works. So we have to just trust that it is working the way we are, right? Which is weird because... Uh, you know, maybe like as the CIA operative, you're more likely to just follow orders. But like, if you're so concerned about what doing what's right, how do you know if what you're doing is right if you don't even understand what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, Sater pointed that out that he was. It, it's interesting to have someone like Sater calling our protagonist a fanatic because uh, he's following, he's fighting for a cause he barely understands versus Sater who's doing something that's you know more obviously radical, which is you know ending all of life. Yeah, and he's like, I don't... Right, but he, he has a, a great understanding of time, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, so one other thing to kind of go along with this, there's, uh, and Hunter mentioned this earlier too, there's these uh, references to a play. Uh, the nerd writer calls Christopher Nolan meta-cinematic, uh, where he often references the making of filmmaking while he's uh, making the film. There's obviously the protagonist. There's a little bit of dialogue that mentions that enemy combatants are antagonists. Neil, when referencing the end of the world, says end of play. Um, this kind of reinforces the theme of destiny, right? The characters in a play are following a script. Even if they know how it ends, they are hopeless against stopping it. Um, so there, there you go. They're all part of this grand narrative and they all have a role to play, uh, but you don't get to decide like the script. You don't get to decide what's going on. Uh, it's, it's not up to you, really. It's up to somebody else in the future, perhaps maybe, or the past. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You go either way on this timeline. Um, or time at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not where he is or, but when, when is Uh, it? Yeah. 
Um, okay, well, I think Is that's a good now? place to uh, wrap up our... Yeah, I mean, we've transcended time and space just in the uh, while it took us to record this <laughs> podcast. But as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we're going to go ahead and deliver our ratings for this movie. Um, Hunter, what, what rating do you want to give to Tenet? I would put this... Uh, my rating is Edge of Tomorrow with the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Okay. I'm gonna mash these together. This is what you would end up with. Okay. All right, Joey. What about you? That. What rating do you want to give Tenet? Um, I give this movie an empty clip filled with inverted bullets. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I give this movie a master's degree in physics. Uh, awarded an honorary <laughs> master's degree in physics. Okay, well, that is uh, going to bring us to the end of this discussion on Tenet. I want to thank Hunter. I'll say it in forward motion this time, Hunter, for uh, coming and joining us on Affable Chat. Yeah, it's been a great time. Thank you for having me. Where can the people find you, Hunter? Oh, well, I'm, I'm one phone call away, and I would like for you to be able to renew your car warranty. It's almost expired. Oh, my gosh. This is our last time getting in contact with you. <laughs> it's you. It's been you this whole time. Yeah, it's, it's been, been me. That's why he's a very special guest on Apple Chat, and we are really happy to have you here. Um, Joey, what's next on Apple Chat? Next, we're doing I Care A Lot. Yes, I've mm. heard multiple internet personalities recommend this movie to me. Hassan Piker and Joe Rogan both have like inexplicably recommended this film, and I don't. So now I've got to see it, and we will be seeing it and reviewing it right here on Apple Chat. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and wherever you listen to us, uh, leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Apple Chat on all three, or send us an email AppleChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload episodes of the podcast or clips from the Twitch stream or other things unrelated to movies altogether. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.